Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, Blog Talk listeners. Tom Hayes and Rebecca Tripp. How are you this morning, Rebecca? I'm excellent, Tom. Boy, this is fun. This is getting to be a regular thing. What a what a great week last week, huh? Oh, we've had well, some wonderful we, guests. Wonderful guests. Amazing. Nice. You know, uh, the word is spreading. Eric. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eric. The I, I tell you that show about the UFOs, and then uh, somehow I was led to some things on YouTube, and to see those things actually uh, becoming more prevalent right now. And I think you you mentioned the same thing. Yes, there seem to be more sightings right now than they've had in a while for some reason. And I think there's a lot of really interesting things coming out about possible disclosure that, you know, things that the governments know about UFOs could be coming our way. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, with everybody having uh, access to cameras on their phones these days, it's pretty hard to have just a sighting when they can actually demonstrate, you know, video footage showing uh, these these craft it's um mm-hmm. pretty crazy you know, yeah, was, last uh, well you know what they just what's that well, just la- just last week they videotaped um um a sighting in over the bronx new york in the daytime yeah that's that's right that's right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well you know the thing that um you know the of course the the object of what we're doing here, and the title is Upbeat. We want to keep everything uh, upbeat because you and I have had some experiences in life that kind of have transcended what the normal experience is, even for us. I mean, you uh, had a healing of uh, ovarian cancer when they told you the only way that they could uh, heal that was to actually operate, and you went to a Christian scientist, and uh, you were healed. And you've had many healings. And then also you encountered UFOs. I've encountered UFOs. Um, and mm-hmm. I've had my own transformative healing experiences. So with those things, in fact, I was we were talking a little bit before the show, and I talked to somebody about, you know, my recent realization of about the difference between faith and trust, and that trust uh, is much deeper than faith, because when you trust somebody or something, it usually involves a transaction, a relationship where you actually give something of yourself to them, whether it's money. I like to use the example of a, of a, uh, you know, a, a babysitter, that uh, you can believe that somebody's a good babysitter, but it, it is when you give your child to them that you really have established both a relationship and a real trust. It goes deeper than a faith, because you've You've given something precious of yourself. And what you and I talk about all the time is that because we trust in something other than the three-dimensional world, other than, you know, human um, power, we, we, we know that there's something bigger and that this is, is a dream and that it's an illusion. We go there. We give up. That's we let right. go and we trust. Mm-hmm. And we let go and trust. And I, I love this, uh, the fact that I, I wanted you to do this uh, – the series with me because I 
one of the things that I marveled at was why did I, you know, the old adage, the, the um, teacher will arrive when the student is ready. And, mm-hmm. and you found that you found that throughout your life. Absolutely, you know, I've met you, one teacher after another, and at just the right time, usually they always show up at the right time. Yep, mm-hmm. and and it is when we're ready for the next phase. And I was, um, you know, blessed in my 20s to be searching through the radio, and I had gone to a, an all-Catholic school which taught us, it was required that we take philosophy and theology each semester, which turned out to be the the real meat, of the, and I think the reason I went to that school, I, I didn't want to go there, but I applied to others, but it was the only school I was accepted. And as it turned out, it gave me a foundation of at least problem solving and looking at the world. Once I read, you know, Plato's Republic and understood what he was talking about form and, and you know, it was the beginning of creative, creative visualization when he said, anything that shows up in the material world first has to exist in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the ideal form. I mean, it comes to be, you know, from thought. There's nothing here that arrived from what man has created that wasn't first a thought. Exactly. I mean, right. And and so whether it's electricity or a car or whatever, and of course Plato said that in in the um, in the spirit world, in, in the non-physical world, the pure, the essence of the quint- quintessential vehicle already exists, and man ultimately finds it through implementation of the of the idea or the concept. So I was already predisposed to thinking that there's something more than what we can see, touch, or feel. And then I found mm-hmm. Alan Watts, who said, you know, one day, I'll never forget the first words I heard from him was, who do you think you are? And I'm like, what's this guy talking about? You know, who who do you think you are? You know, where do you begin and where do you end? He said, you know, he said... Uh, do you think you ended your fingertips? He says, "Are you?" He says, "Western man's problem is he thinks he's a, an ego wrapped in skin, and that he's totally separate from his surrounding and his his uh, other people, and it's all about him." And he says, "Yet he says, tell me how long you could exist without food. Tell me how long you could exist without water. Tell me how long you could exist without air." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me how long you could exist if the sun de- decided to fall from the sky. You know, mm-hmm. they'll burn up. He says, so who are you? And so that began, and I had never heard that in four years of Western philosophy and theology. I had never heard this this uh, this worldview that we are not separate. We are, as he calls it, egos wrapped in skin. We are not egos wrapped in skin. We are products of of the universe, the products of, of the earth. So I found this great, uh, I've listened to this a couple of times. I remember he even hearing it 40 years ago uh, when he talks about cause and effect. So this is a pretty heady uh, 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 interview lecture he actually gave. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating because you can hear him writing on chalk and all. I, if you let your uh, imagination go, you can almost imagine yourself in the class and watching this, eloquent and, you know, erudite, amazing teacher with his great voice and his 
Amazing laugh. So what do you say? We can jump into it? Sure, I'd love to hear it. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Well, now you know that one of the great problems that has arisen out of the Western study of Indian philosophy, as well as out of the tradition of Western philosophy, in relation to the whole problem of illusion, is the question of what is called in the technical jargon of Western philosophy, subjective idealism. This is the theory that all reality is mental. And uh, we have to start by making a clear distinction between subjective idealism and solipsism. <coughs> solipsism is the doctrine that you are the only person who exists. And everybody else is your dream. And you can see there's a certain analogy between that and the Hindu idea that all this cosmos is the dream of the Godhead. But the difference here is that in, in, in the solipsistic doctrine, it is just you, as you more or less know yourself from a conscious standpoint, as a finite individual, and not much more than that, having this dream that all these other people exist. There's no way of really producing an argument against solipsism, because you can always say to a solipsist, what evidence, if someone could produce it, would you regard as disproving your idea? <clears throat> That's a very disconcerting question to ask anybody, and I give it to you if ever you get involved in philosophical one-upmanship. Ask a Freudian, what evidence, if it could be brought forward, would you consider to disprove the Oedipus complex theory? you'll find he can't think of anything at all. <laughs> or ask a theologian, what evidence would you find conclusive as disproving the existence of God? And he can't think of any. Whereas, <clears throat> other people, if they, you ask them that question, will suggest an experiment and say, all right, if this experiment is negative, uh, then we'll accept the evidence. And one of the classic experiments of this nature is the Michelson-Morley experiment, which disproved the existence of the ether, as at any rate in the form that people had conceived ether. And it's been generally accepted. Somebody thought out what would happen if there were really ether. <coughs> so this is always one of the problems of solipsism, and we're going to see it's one of the problems of subjective idealism. But the, the difference between solipsism and subjective idealism is contained in the famous double limerick. There was a young man who said, God, I find it exceedingly odd that a tree as a tree simply ceases to be when there's no one around in the quad. And the reply, young man, your astonishment's odd. I'm always around in the quad, so the tree as a tree never ceases to be, since observed by yours faithfully God. 
The great subjective idealists in the tradition of Western philosophy are, of course, Berkeley, uh, the, the bishop, and Bradley, A.F. Bradley. And uh, it's in some ways difficult to make out exactly what they were saying when they said that everything is in the mind because they could never say clearly what they meant by the mind. But if you will be a little naive for a moment and, un and seem at least to understand what you mean when you use the word mind, they will pitch the argument in the following way. You do not know anything except in your own mind. The whole existence of an external world is something known to you in your mind. The distance of other people and other objects from you is a distance that exists in the mind. You cannot possibly conceive any world existing unless it be <coughs> an experience. How could there be an unexperienced world? That would not be a world for anyone or anything. Therefore it would not be at all, because being is always being for something. It is, in other words, relational. The sun is light for eyes. Eyes are organs of vision for a mind. If there are no eyes, the sun gives forth no light. If there are no nerve ends, it gives forth no heat. If there are no muscles, nothing is heavy. And if there are no soft skins, nothing is hard. Because it's only in relation to a certain softness that something hard can be said to be hard. Only in relation to a certain degree of measurement performed by the neurons, that things can be said to be relatively hot or cold. Hot and cold are the impact of energies on a nervous system. Energies at all are recognized as energies by their impact on something. So the Zen poem says, The tree manifests the spiritual power of the wind. The water the miraculous energy of the moon. So the tree is waving. And we wouldn't know there was any wind around, you see, unless there were a tree or something like it to wave in it. And in the same way as uh, the moon, when the water ripples, breaks up into a thousand fragments and shimmers all over the place, you see, we wouldn't know that the moon had this miraculous power to duplicate itself, to triplicate, quadruplicate, multimillionaire itself, were it not for the water. So these are the, the foundations of the idealist theory. You must distinguish between philosophical idealism and ethical idealism. They're two totally unrelated ideas. <clears throat> philosophical idealism means that only the, the ideal world is the real world, that is to say, the world in the mind. 
<clears throat> now, the theory. There we go. Mm. <laughs> mm. Pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> you know, even for, uh, you know, it's funny because listening to this, uh, and of course we, I try to upload the entire uh, lecture, but um, my mm. blog talk uh, program would only allow me to, um, to to break it up. So I broke it up, and so and good because I think this first eight minutes is is a uh, pretty difficult thing, especially you know we've talked about this a million times. Is you know we mm-hmm. and he talks about. The dream. Here again, he's, we we met. We were talking right. about this before we started the program, and it, and he's making hairline distinctions. It it seems between uh, what the Hindus believe that yes, it is all a dream, etc. And mm-hmm. late, where Western philosophy is seeming to go, that it is in the mind, and that it is all an illusion. Um, but he seems to. Have I mean? Can you pick up the nuances of what he's saying? Uh, well, and then of... he says, "But what is the mind? You must you must define the mind." And I like the term subjective idealism. Um, that's a good one. And I, you know, what in my teachings and my understanding at this level that I'm at, which isn't, you know, I'm somewhere on the path. I don't know where exactly, but um, I like that term, subjective idealism. Because um, what I teach myself to do is to go into my subjective consciousness and as the Course in Miracles and as Christian science um, and, you know, many of the the Eastern philosophies like you referred to talk about we are creating it in our own subjective consciousness, whatever our world is reflecting back to us. And um, so we can make it a happy dream if we choose. But it's interesting the way we run into these obstacles along the way. And sometimes it's very difficult to get to the place that we really want to be, even though we keep, you know, going into our subjective consciousness and um, visualizing and feeling and um, expecting, you know, things to happen. And sometimes we, we still feel blocked. It's very interesting. It's still challenging. You know, you can study these things and um, make tremendous steps forward, but there's always something else to work on. It never ends as long as you're here, I think. Um, but he's well, I brilliant. Think, uh, when we had our talk with Debbie Toomey last week, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she she made an extremely valid point that it's a mystery and no one will figure it out, and, and we're no one will. Mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I think what, again, I mean, he's so so erudite, he's so learned, he's so brilliant, um, and what I think he later on will hear when we do this, we continue this lecture. What he's saying is, you just can't. <clears throat> excuse me. You have to have. There is there is a reality, and I think he's agreeing with it. There is a reality bigger than what we see. Right. Right. And and I think many people that have the awakened experience glimpse it. Um, you know, some people stay there longer than others. Sometimes it's just a moment for people. I mean, um, they just, you know, see everything 
from a completely different perspective, and they realize that it's beautiful. It's There's another reality right here amongst us that um, is very idealistic. The subjective reality that we can go into where we can create is part of that. Like they say, the kingdom yeah, of heaven I, is within. Well, yeah, right. And, you know, we both studied the Course in Miracles, and what I mm-hmm. found fascinating was the part that said... Uh, you know, if you're looking at a screen, you're in a movie. And if you're right. looking at a screen and you don't like what's on the screen, you're crazy to go up to the screen and try to alter the movie that's being played on the screen. It's never the only way happen. you can do that. Right. The only way you can do that is go back to the projector. Exactly. But we're mesmerized and, so much by the screen that we actually think that in our life we can change people and circumstances that are out there. When in reality, all we can change is our inner world and how we how we react to things and how we view things. Exactly. And then Reaction becomes. There will shift and change. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And we've all experienced that. We. It, it's funny because we, uh, we rant a, a lot because, you know, one of my theories is that as you move up the uh, enlightened path, or so to speak, and things become mm-hmm. more and more apparent to you. You become like that electron that's got kicked out of orbit when they when they uh introduce a charge to uh, an electron to uh you know an atom. One mm-hmm. of the electrons will kick out of orbit and it takes a while it becomes a free radical and and in the human body free radicals are dangerous things because that's what causes cancer. But then mm-hmm. they uh, it takes a while for that electron to find a higher orbit and get familiar right. with its surroundings. So, and you and I talk about the shift we're in now where, you know, it's hard to operate in the three-dimensional world because most people don't see it and think we're insane, and maybe we are, but we certainly are different, you know, working on a different reality. And All right. What I think he's, different path. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, tell me what you think here. I think because he's, you know, so so smart and he's, he sees the dangers of a philosophy of thinking that you're the only thing. Right. That, right. You know, because then we see what we're, you and I talk about a lot is that people make the leap that, well, I'm just an ego wrapped in skin, and hence, and you see what he was saying, and you and I always talk mm. about this, the lack of the importance of relationships today. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and you know the another thing about awakening is as a person awakens and goes further into the along the path, it does become harder and harder for people that they've even been very familiar with their whole lives, as we're seeing, to relate to them because they are not on that path. They are going totally in the direction of the three-dimensional world and buying into the programming of that, where the ones that are awakening are going, wait a minute, it's time for this planet to wake up. We can't keep going in this direction. We're on a precipice. We, you know, we things need to change. And they can see that a change is necessary, but the, the ones that are still very mesmerized by the world just want to keep status quo because they feel they're powerless to make any changes. And um, it's it's like there are two distinct groups forming. Now, he was a leader in that avant group that was out there 
in the thought movement. Absolutely. I mean, I was living out in Marin County when he was living in a salt. He was living on a houseboat in Sausalito back in the 60s. I remember everybody talked about how he was he was living there. I never met him personally, but he's always been considered, you know, a thinker in the forefront. Oh, he, well, he was the bridge. I mean, up until that time, most of our Westerners were immersed in Western thought. You know, right, that, right. And when you think well, of it, it was the Greek. We, we created a very materialistic society and culture in america we are consumers we love i mean the world looks to us for that we've always been into making lots of money you know big houses consumerism that's what makes us tick and you know the western you know (laughs) the indian philosophies and that sort of thing were more non-materialistic so now we're learning from them and we're learning that you know being super materialistic it can be fun, but it can also be empty. So, you know, we're all looking for a better way now, most people at least. Well, yeah, because you put the power in something other than you. You know, that right. car. The car is mm-hmm. what possesses the ability to make you happy. That house, that uh, person, um, that relationship, uh you know, the, oh, if I find the right person, I find my soulmate, then I'll be happy. Um, and so, you know, he, he. But you know what I, I think? What uh, he he says consistently throughout all of his lectures is that instead of being annoyed by the other, is understand that you need the other. In mm. other words, it is only by the other mm-hmm. that you understand what you are. He says you would never know who you are. Or if just it was as just you. you. Know, yeah, the moon um, manifests itself by reflecting on the water, and the trees are the manifestation of the wind blowing. So without that, right. you wouldn't even know the wind was blowing. You you know, you wouldn't um, necessarily notice exactly. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and okay. that's. Um, so I think what he's pointing out to the, the danger of this idea that we are the only thing uh, is because, you know, if you listen to any great mystic, it's always that it's all one. The other and us are all part of one. Mm -hmm. Unity is the pervading attitude of the new paradigm. We're all connected. So what we do to each other, we're doing to ourselves because we're all one. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he gets into this deeper. This is, a, again, a very uh, heady uh, lecture. I mean, it takes it's on a certain level. But I wanted to do it because it leads to this kind of a discussion. It gives us uh, a, a reference, you know, a, a, a launching pad, a, a point to take off and say, you know, what's with all of these different philosophies that exist today. And he's, you know, later, I think later on, or at least I heard it within the last couple of weeks in one of his other lectures, he says the two dangers, the two pervasive thoughts in Western thought are, number one, for years it was that there was a God outside of the universe, separate mm-hmm. distinct from the universe, which controlled everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that we are, you know, have to bow down and fear and adore this being and predestination was, was what was taught by many of the churches. You you didn't even have a chance to um, 
have an awakening during your life. It was already predestined exactly what where you were going, you know, what you were going to Yeah, and, and that this, this being uh, in George Carlin, we were looking because we were going to thinking about playing a George Carlin tape about how people are asleep. But uh, George Carlin talked about it last night. He said, <laughs> he said uh, uh, and of course, this God is watching you all the, the whole time and seeing if mm-hmm. you're doing things the way he wants you to. Mm-hmm. And if not, you're going to be tossed into hell and burned forever. Right. But of course, uh, but of course, right. And then he says, but of course he loves you. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was always a strange concept. And it still pervades many people's thinking today. You know, the guilt and, um, you know, going to hell or biggies. Yeah, exactly. That this isn't, again, this is not, this is just a t- testing ground till you get to the real place, which is either heaven or hell. And this was, mm-hmm. which is pretty, uh, pretty scary. By, by the way, if those of you, anybody's listening live, uh, we'll be cut off in a few minutes. But then we're going to go to the other fifteen minutes because this becomes a podcast, and you can listen to it at any time and get the part you missed. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he, you know, he's he's saying that. Um, so there's the danger of that philosophy. And then he says, along came Newtonian physics, which basically mm-hmm. said that the world is a cold and lifeless place with all of these rocks orbiting around a, you know, a gaseous uh, sun, and everything is mechanistic, and we're merely objects in this mechanistic world, and we're all mm-hmm. powerless to the whims of this crazy world uh, with explosions and, and everything. And any time, you know, we're, we're totally powerless and we're, we're totally material. And, again, this idea of separation. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this is why I wanted to do this lecture with you, and I think what he's saying here is that you have to be conscious of the fact that you're in a relation, relationship with the world. Mm. The whole world. The universe. The whole even. world. Yes, yeah. exactly. The universe. That yeah. there is that there is indeed a universe. Mhm. That that it is not all subjective in the sense that um only I exist and this is all uh an illusion. I mean, in this in, in that to me is what he's saying it's not that far off because the Hindus know it is all a dream that this is, you know, will when this when it, if it were real it wouldn't change. In other words, um, everything is changing at every second. So the world, our reality, is different from one second to the next. Exactly. It's it's always it's always changing, and um, you know, consciousness is really more and more the scientific community even is talking about consciousness and how it affects everything. You know, they've done these studies in quantum physics where they realize that when you observe something, it changes it. You know, these these tests that they've run, waves, particles, um, it's all very, very, very interesting now because the scientific community is even aligning with many of the things that he's talking about and um, the mystics. Right. And they're and realizing he, you know, that the world is not what it appears to be. And, I mean, 
they've even gone so far as to make the statement matter isn't real. You know, Plank, right. who was exactly. it? Nobel Prize. In, in the Course of Miracles made that very clear. I mean, right from the beginning, it says, look at that table. Christian you don't Science know what that table means. Same statement. Not, the matter is unreal. The real and eternal is the spiritual dimension, and that's where everything comes from. Everything that's manifested in the, in the physical world came from the spiritual dimension as a thought that was ultimately put into physical form. And what is matter? It's frozen energy, I guess. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, he just, he just, you know, that's again, why I selected this lecture as we hear in our next uh, podcast, you will hear him talk exactly about this, that Mm -hmm. um, it is, and he starts to allude to it, that he's saying, I think what he's saying at this point is there is energy and you're part of Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And so to think that it's only you is a little, you know, is kind of off the mark in that you have to understand, and, you know, he talks later on, he says, you know, you have a choice later on, and it's what we discuss all the time. You have a choice to either acknowledge this energy and surrender to it, or live a very frustrating mm-hmm. life thinking that it's only you against the world. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember living like that when I was in my early 20s, and it was a very unhappy state to be in, very frustrating, very lonely. Oh, I didn't, I just, you know, because I hadn't seen any indications that we were connected to this source energy and we're part of something much bigger. And once that shift took place, everything changed. The inner peace starts to come. You start to realize that you do, you can find solutions and you can work things out and, um, it's all good. And I yeah, like that this term, subjective, um, what did he call idealism. it? Subjective idealism. I- and because if your basic premise is it's all good, then no matter what happens, even if you have a little upset, a setback, it's good because it's putting you back on the path that you're supposed to be on. Because ultimately, right. um, it's idealistic. It's happy. It's good. You can have a happy dream. Right and yeah, right and when you start to, as you and I have discussed, when you start to realize, and I think it's that what we term as negative is only the other side of positive. That both of them have come together. Right. And, you know, this is what right. he's talking. He's starting to allude to is saying that the the wind and the tree have a relationship. Right. Right. And the water yeah. and the moon has a relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. what, I, what I thought was interesting about that, he's right, you know, the moon will light up, I live right across from the water here, and the moon will light up the entire bay. But mm-hmm. that moonbeam only comes to me in my mm-hmm. observation because I'm here to observe that thing. I, I noticed this one night as I was driving along the beach that that little narrow beam followed just followed me completely where I was. Yet the moon was, I, I, in other words, it should seem that the moon just has this, diffuses its light over the entire bay, and you would just see a, an, an entire bay lit up. However, you see that line, that reflection, that goes in a straight line right across the water up to the moon. 
mm-hmm. and it followed me. And I said to myself, wait a minute, that perception mm. of the moon as just a one lane of light following me mm-hmm. would not be if I weren't here. Right. Right, exactly. So you had to be there that, that happened. And, and and that is consciousness. Right. My mm-hmm. consciousness is that this beam of light coming from this object in the sky uh, is 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 a straight line when in reality only I am making it that way. My presence gives it that appearance. Mhm. You know, just the, I read something about consciousness that a tree will fall in the woods. That's going to happen. But right. it will not make a sound. It will not make a sound because unless there is an ear which has the, the ability to take the, right. those vibrations and translate it into sound, exactly, it's not sound. Mm-hmm. But I liked his little limerick about the tree um, because God is still, is still there. The tree does stand in the forest there's someone something is observing it be it man or god exactly Exactly. Mm -hmm. and and because we're all you know and he says it many times he said uh jesus wasn't lying when he said he was the son of god because we're all the son of god right 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 yeah and they say for about 300 years people that heard him after he spoke got that but then that started to, it was taken out of the teachings and the churches and, you know, people were turned more into slaves than than these divine ideas that have dominion and the way Jesus taught them. And, you know. Well, he has this great term, uh, pedestalize. And I, I had never heard it before. Yeah, I don't know if he made it up or what, but pedestal. He says, mm-hmm. what they did, and you and I talked about this just before the show, that Christian scientists see Jesus as is a very powerful man, a prophet, a teacher, teacher. an enlightened one. Mm-hmm. And and Watts talks about him. He says, "Well, he says Jesus comes along and tells us all that we can do what he does. Do not marvel at what he does, because we will do better." Right. And he's and 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 so. Watts says the problem they had with Jesus, what are they going to do with this guy, Jesus, who's talking about being a son of God? And so, because we can't let everybody know that they, too, are the son of God and that they have all these powers. So what do we do to them? We kick them upstairs. He says we pedestalize them. We put them on a pedestal. Oh, I like that. That's that's interesting. Yeah. In other words, we put Jesus on a pedestal. And then so that he's the only like one. Exactly. And you become the miserable sinner who can never attain that in this life. You have to wait exactly. until the afterlife. But the reality is we can work out our salvation while we're here, and we can experience the kingdom of heaven while we're here because it's an inside job. It's exactly. not out there. inside. And it's just it's the shift. When you can shift your thought to what you desire to think about rather than what's being forced on you from the outside as if you're just reacting. When you become non-reactionary and you become the observer, you are in the driver's seat, and that's when you free yourself. 
And it's that's because true. And that's what yesterday I was talking about. I'm in a situation right now where uh, there's a little negativity going on in my mind. It was very unusual mm-hmm. day yesterday because my mind is working the way it used to with all of these negative thoughts, and I was uh, falling into them. And I noticed I mm-hmm. could feel my body, the chemistry in my body reacting, you know, and it was it was toxic. Right. And uh, yeah. so then I, um, but that's when, you're right, this this idea of the observer steps in, mm-hmm. where you become you conscious of you can actually neutralize the negativity, and that's what Jesus could do. You know, they woke him up and said, what are we going to do? There's a terrible storm. We're all going to die. And, you know, he looked at them and said, oh, you have little faith, and he, he calmed the storm, you know, or they needed money, and he would find it, you know, or they needed food, and he could manifest. You know, he could solve the problem because he, he faced out the fear. We just, he, he never had the fear. He had dominion. Right. And as the Course in Miracles says, it's either fear or love. Exactly. And that's Those are the two choices. And there's always, always, always one problem, separation from your source. Exactly. And And the divine love can always solve it. Right. And I think that this is what Watts is saying here, that the trouble with thinking that you're the only thing Mm. is that you cut yourself off from the power, the separation. Anytime there's separation, unlike what Americans think today, that independence, which is the big battle cry for everybody, right. independence, 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 not interdependence. And I think this is well, what he's making. We've always taught competition, going right back to school, competition, games, cheerleaders, players, you know, competition in business, competition. Competition is actually very wasteful. And it doesn't, it's not unity, you know. Honestly, I thought when the airlines hit 9-11, they would all get together afterwards because I was working for United Airlines at the time. I thought they'd all get together and say, you know what, this doesn't work. Let's all work together now and be happy. No, no. <laughs> it just doesn't work that right. way. You know. Right, right. And they, that, oh, oh, there's a term, it's a German term. I can't wrap my tongue around it. Um, but yeah, it's a philosophy and it's, it's pretty, it's come into vogue right now, which basically says Mm -hmm. the only way that you can really be happy is not so much that you acquire something and you gain, but that in the process, somebody else ends up with less. (laughs) So the, 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 the disparity, yeah, it's, 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 um, I'll have to find it. It's a German word. In fact, I saw it. It's one of those things when somebody explains it to you, um, then, you know, you see it everywhere. Uh, mm, like okay, last okay. week we talked about equanimity, and I mm, hadn't heard the term mm. in, in decades. And then that day I heard it three more times. There you and, go. Um, yeah, and so, but basically it's that idea that it's, no, it's not just good enough that you get your dream and what you wanted, whether it's the car, the house, or, but that somebody else lost in the process and that you're better than them. Oh, you know, and, that's, and, and that's where people can be happy is they don't want to see anybody else. If you get the car and then somebody else gets the car, that's not good. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> I know, but, this, well, but American society works on that. It does work that way because they always want to be better than their neighbors. And that's crazy. Who's com- what are they competing with? That doesn't even make any sense. You're only yeah, you talk about an illusion. I mean, 
where is that? That is you know? an illusion. Well, they were talking this morning on the, you know, people are afraid to go out by themselves to eat or to go to a movie because they think other people will judge them and go, oh, that's a loser. They don't have any friends. Now, how crazy right. is that? And the right. majority of people feel that way, so they don't go out by themselves. Right. Wow. Right. That's right. insane. Exactly. The human so mind I think, is really... Hmm. Well, we're going to lose the show here in about a minute, but I think... You know, this was a great start. I want to continue to do these because I think, you know, first of all, to add Alan Watts to a podcast. Oh, he's, just he's brilliant. I love listening to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, basically what he's saying, folks, is understand that you're in a relationship with everything. Right. And that, you know, you have to see yourself part of this huge energy and relate to things in a way that it all works, that the, the other is you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and unlike what we're seeing today, everybody wants to be separate, and it leads to nothing but unhappiness. Exactly. Yeah. We're all connected. So, well, great. Thanks so great. much, Rebecca. Let's let's continue, and uh, we'll, do, okay. we'll continue to pick up where the, uh, the lecture left off right for today. All right. Thanks, Tom. Bye. All right. Take care, Rebecca. You too.